0: What's up, Pitt fans? Welcome back to another Pit Mailbag here on the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel and podcast network. He is Chris Carter. I'm Noah Hiles. Carter, the football season is concluded. We recap that Saturday evening. I uh, don't think we need to talk any more about the Duke loss or really even the X's and O's uh, from an opening show standpoint no. here because we covered that all. Obviously, a lot to get into. Uh, the Post-Gazette broke the story Sunday afternoon. Frank Signetti is out as the team's offensive coordinator. We got a lot of questions involved with that along with uh, other big future choices this program has to make moving forward. Also some pit basketball. but before we get into all of that, we've got to talk about our show's presenting sponsor, which is Mike's beer bar. whether if you're in town for a Steelers Pirates or a pit game, Mike's beer bar is right across the street from PNC Park and it has the best selection of beer in town as well as amazing food options. They have over 20 TVs, and you can catch all of your NFL, college football, Pirates, Penguins, Riverhounds, and Premier League action right at Mike's. Come on in and try one of their 500 different available beers, 300 of them being local beers, as well as their 80 different local craft beers available on tap. You can also get a flight to try out every option you can dream of, and trust me, you won't run out of favorites because I never do, and I'm always there. Try their steak on a stone for an awesome meal where you can choose how hot you want your steak cooked with a heated stone right in front of you as you enjoy a night out in Pittsburgh. Come on over to Mike's beer bar and get your sports fix and experience the best bar in Pittsburgh. Mike's beer bar might be, uh might be where Carter and I are heading now that we get a little bit of a free weekend. It's uh. it's, Let's I don't go, even know. What to, I, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't Just know looking, with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> like sure, there's basketball, but like I was looking. I don't get on a plane once the entire month of December.
1: That's nice. That
0: I I can't nice. relate to that. I I feel relate. like when when it's under seventy degrees, I am on an airplane on buddy, my weekends. We need to watch-
1: we get to what we get to watch all the conference championships yes. on Saturday.
0: College it's great. hoops,
1: oh,
0: NBA, it's so great. NHL, NFL. Like there's, and then we
1: get so to cover Pitt, Clemson. The next yes. day. like this is gonna be amazing.
0: Not a bad life, not a bad not life a bad we life. live, Carter. All right, let's get into the questions. First one comes from Matt. What is your suspicion on why the quarterback situation went the way it did the last two years? Stubbornness from both Pat slash Frank, lack of competition. Nate not being a good practice player, poor talent talent evaluation. I'm truly at a loss than ego, other than ego or ignorance. Uh, this question comes from Matt. Carter, what do you think? And and to recap, in Signetti's two seasons at Pitt, five different guys started at quarterback. Yep. Five of them. Three of those were guys who came in from the transfer portal, and two of them were recruits from Pitt. So, and it's just a mix of everyone, you know, the recruits, obviously Signetti didn't bring either of those two when he brought in two of the three guys from the portal injuries, everything. It was just kind of a mess. What do you think Carter?
1: I mean, certainly I think that Signetti, you know, be, you know, had to be part of the process of bringing some of those guys to the transfer portal in. So he wanted to give those guys a shot, but let's also not forget like Keaton Slovis when he came to Pitt from USC like his tape was very impressive dude had a right. cannon arm he had a lot of things to put together and Nick had was all as much as he was but he's beloved and he had a great Sun Bowl like there were a lot of in, there were a lot of tangible things you could see on tape that like you know if Keaton Slovis plays the way he's supposed to play he'll be a better quarterback so like I get do it doing that with him but at the end of the day you need to go with the guy that makes the best decisions on the field the guy that the team you know that, that kind of feels the team better and you know, but in the past two years, at the end of the season, we've been looking around, and in both times, it's been the guy that was recruited by Pitt itself to be to come in naturally into the program rather than coming in through the transfer portal. Um, you know, Phil jakovic you know, you and I read some of those practices. There were pl- pl- times where he was whizzing the ball deep down the right. field, and it looked like, hey, there's there's something there. I, I truly think what happened to Phil jakovic was, uh, you know, a breakdown in his body because he took a lot of hits o- o- over the years, but also just when things started to break down on the field, he he didn't adjust well. He didn't keep reading the defense, and he kind of got down on himself. That kind of confidence hurts it Hurts everybody, and I think that that's where you saw the problems with him. I think Christian, you know, he's a young quarterback just like Nate Yarnell. I think he's more of a strong-armed guy that like, that can force the ball into tight situations but isn't as good at reading the field as Nate Yarnell, and that was mainly the difference between them, two, the two of them, and that's where Nate Yarnell kind of won out in the end of the season. I'm not sure if it's an ego thing as much as, a, hey, we brought this guy into the transfer portal. We think he's pretty good in practice. We should be playing that guy uh, versus an angry standpoint. But I do think it should show Pitt something that, that Patton Narduzzi, in his current offensive coordinator search, which we will get into in a little bit, that what they should be looking for isn't necessarily a quarterback that will just be able to play in a tough offense and make the occasional big throw. You want a quarterback that is a field general, that makes all the right decisions, that can decipher what defenses are doing and see the field. That is your key priority. It's the biggest thing that that people are looking for in the recruiting process. you got to find those type of guys and build your offense around that.
0: I'm going to go through the timeline here of all the different quarterbacks because I think it's a multitude of factors. We'll start with Keaton Slovis, who, as you pointed out, Carter, I mean, that was a big get for Pitt. In any national magazine that you would read, like previewing the 2022 college football season, he was listed as one of the biggest transfer portal pickups at the quarterback position in the country. It wasn't just like in the ACC nationally; that was regarded to as a very big get for Pitt. Yeah, um, and and I think that played a huge role in why he had such a long leash. Uh, this was the first time Pitt really did anything like that, and like because it's early in the transfer portal era. They went out. They made a big splash off of a championship season, and they—they they were invested. I—I've I, I, been told that you know, Narduzzi pretty much determined before the year started that this was who their guy was going to be because they went out and, and handpicked him, and I don't know if that's the right call or not. I get why he didn't st- why he started over Nick Patty. Like, resume-wise, he should have started the year over Nick Patti. Um and, and you can make whatever assertions you want off of training camp. But as we saw this past year, every quarterback can look good in training camp because they're not allowed to get hit. It's, it's really right. easy to look good, good when point. you know you can't be tackled. It's a good point. Uh, sure, they're in your face. But at the end of the day, you can throw the ball and follow through completely. And no, you're not going to get a shot to the ribs. So... I think that yeah, you got to start the year with Slovis. Was there a point in time where they should have made the change absolutely and they didn't because of I think Slovis is the investment they made into him coming in. Also, they didn't know if he was going to be their quarterback next year or not. So that that explains the whole Slovis thing. Um obviously because of the way they handled that, he got hurt, that led to Yarnell starting against Western Michigan last year and then he left which led to patty starting the bowl game but we'll get into the, now the quarterback problems this year mm-hmm. where last year's were pretty much i would say heavily on narduzzi this year was on frank uh yep. I, I don't care mm-hmm. you know and, and i'm not trying to echo what pat says where it's it's Frank's call it's frank's call but this was the first time he had an opportunity to go get his guys yep. and his guys clearly took preference over others Yes. He could have had Nick Patty back this year, but he went out and he got two guys in the transfer portal instead. And so that resulted in Nick Patty not returning for his final year of eligibility. And I think if Nick Patty did come back, this team probably finishes better than three and nine. So who does he go out and get? He gets Phil Dracovic and he gets um, Christian Bayer. Those two guys finished the, the fall camp number one and two on the depth chart because. That's who he went out and picked. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. they went. I mean, I, I don't think they did anything nil wise to get Vayer because he's an international guy. He's from Canada, but I know they made an investment into Jurkovic, and it made sense why you would probably start him again, taking the training camp thing into into consideration here, where he could not get hit. Everyone that we talked to, Chris, on top of yeah. seeing it with our own eyes. Yep, They glowed about how good this guy looked, how much better he looked than Keaton because of his mobility, because of his size, his toughness, how he made an effort to be friends with the dudes on the team, unlike Slovis did in 2022. All of those things, they stood out, and he was going to be exactly what they needed, just a game manager who would protect the football and make a couple big throws when it was needed. Yep, That did not work out, clearly. And they went on to the next option, which I think – Based off the bodies of work that we've seen, probably should have been Nate Yarnell, but because the guy making the choices was Signetti, he went with the guy who he brought in. He didn't recruit mm-hmm. Nate Yarnell. He didn't, <clears throat> and so and while I think that he had nothing against Nate Yarnell, when your job's on the line, you're going to go with someone that you handpicked rather than someone who was still at the program. Right when you arrived. And so I, I think if it was Narduzzi's call completely, Yarnell would have started after Dracovic got benched. I think he's been high on Yarnell from the very beginning, but Narduzzi trusted his OC. I do believe that was the truth. Um, and they went with Vayer. And Veyer showed promise early on, but the difference is Narduzzi made the choice to bench Vayer. I've had that confirmed. I reported that. And when Narduzzi got involved, that's when we saw Nate Yarnell come in. So to recap everything, Narduzzi was behind why Keaton over Patty. But then Frank was the reason why it took so long for Nate Yarnell to come up this year and become the starter. So it's a combination of both things. Talent evaluation, yeah. Like I said, you're going to go with guys with more established resumes, which explains Keaton and Phil. You're going to go with guys that you pick, which explains this year, Mm -hmm. and you're going to go with, you know, who, who you feel is going to save your job and that's who they picked. So that kind of explains it all from my perspective, from what I've heard. And just from breaking things down, uh, as this has been the number one thing, pretty much anyone on the beat has been forced to think about now for two years,
1: anything to add on that
0: Carter before we move Mm -hmm. on?
1: No, I, I think your timeline is very important. And they, again, the importance is of guys believing in their guys. Like that, that That's the thing. As much as you or I or anyone else, you know, I talk with a good breeder of ours, Teddy W. Teddy W is the man. He always hits us up and has questions, has good questions, good insights. You know, We even argue, and he's very respectful. I like talking to him. He even talks to Steelers yeah. with our guy, Brian Batko. But one thing Teddy said is he believed in Nate Arnell. And you know what? Teddy looked right at the end of the year. But here's the thing is that, as much as we want to believe that, how many people said that about Christian Veyer at, at different points of the year? We, we, we said it. We, everyone thought at different points in time, like, hey, there's, there's my guy. The coaches are the guys that are seeing this in practice and outside of practice and, and studying this overall. And even they're getting it wrong. So, yes, someone out there is going to get randomly right and just basically what based off of a hunch or a feeling. But this is such a hard thing to do. It's why so many teams get it wrong. Because it's not just Pitt. Look across the country, not just in the college football, but in the NFL. People getting it wrong all the time. It's just part of the game. Quarterback is so hard to judge. It's why when you hit it, you have to capitalize on it.
0: And it's easier when you make an offensive coordinator transition, like the last one that Pitt made prior to Signetti coming in, well, it was Watson to Whipple, right? Yep. They didn't have any questions as to who the quarterback was going to be at that point in time. It's You have your quarterback and the portal wasn't what it was then and nil didn't exist so that was what you were doing unless you could go get a true freshman to come in and beat out kenny pickett which wasn't happening so that that's just what it was where this year it's in this era of football it's completely different it's kind of like professional sports where you could just come in and take over with your own guys so yeah it, it just made everything that chris said where teams already get this stuff wrong It's even more convoluted now based off of the instant access to resources that exist. Absolutely. All right. Jamel wants to know, any initial thoughts on who uh, Coach Narduzzi will target for OC? Also, any changes on if there will be additional coaching changes? Um, I'll start with this one. Sure. First things first, I I think there's absolutely going to be other coaching changes. We don't need to talk at this about that at nauseam. We've been talking about this for yes. months now. Uh, there, are go- there are going to be other changes on the offensive staff. I'm, I've heard rumors. I'm sure Carter has as well. Nothing that we can report yet, but expect those reports in the next couple of weeks that there will mm-hmm. be other assistants either relieved of their duties, retiring or accepting other positions at other programs. Um, as far as the OC targeting goes, I just wrote this big piece. You can read it at the Post-Gazette site. It'll probably be in the E-edition tomorrow as well, um, where I had nine names of candidates. Uh, and I, I kind of divided them into three categories. First calls, which are guys that I think should be like top of the list, Narduzzi should call this week. Uh, notable names. Um, to give a few away, I like guys like Dino Baber, Sean Lewis, uh, something that like names that like all college football fans would really know and be like, Oh no duh, You got to throw them in there. And then outside the box options and um, you know, names that you probably wouldn't think of off the top of your head, but could make sense if Pitt could muster up maybe the money or the, the sales pitch to get these guys. Uh, some things I want to point out one pit fans. It doesn't have to be a former pit person. It doesn't. It doesn't. I don't care if they're a former coach, if they're a former player, if they went to grad school here, whatever the case, if they're from Western Pennsylvania, you're allowed to branch away from the university's history. There are other competent coaches all throughout the country. Pat Narduzzi himself had no pit ties when he was hired. And I would say overall, that was a pretty good hire. You yep. can go, you can do that. And and I, I don't think, aside from Signetti, did, did any of the other OCs have any prior pit ties? No, and no. I think Signetti was probably the worst of the bunch. So yeah.
1: there you it, go. It, you could say Mark Whipple close because he was with the Steelers for a while, and yeah. then there's the, the proximity there, but still, it's not the same.
0: Right. So as far as this goes, and, and people are throwing out names like Brennan Marion, um, obviously Shanahan also was a graduate assistant for Pitt sure. in 2015 in Narduzzi's first year. Um, who was the wide receiver before Marion? Now the Chargers' wide receiver coach, I have him listed. I have Chris Beatty, yeah,
1: yeah, Chris, Chris, Beattie.
0: Chris Beattie. Um, You know, these are guys that I, I think are reasonable uh, candidates. However, Brian Batko, our coworker, former Pit Beat writer, uh, reached out and told me after reading my post. He said uh, he pointed out. He said there is. They're, Narduzzi has never hired someone back at Pitt. Once they've left, they've never yeah. come back to, and been rehired. So I don't know what to expect on that front. Um, I, I don't know if that would necessarily play or apply I, for uh, Shanahan there. Um, so I have a whole bunch of of names. I would still say, say Shanahan's probably the favorite. If I could pick anyone, it'd probably be Joe Moorhead. Uh, but that those like would be Moorhead. the two names that I would look at. Chris, what about you?
1: I mean, here's the thing: if, if if it was my ultimate choice and I had all the say, I would say Brendan Marion because I think wh- I saw firsthand what he did for this offense. And listen, Chris Chris Beatty, fine coach, but you look at the problems that existed in his wide receiver room and how, in a year, Brendan Marion took that receiver room, made it the, the have the, from having the most drops in college football to being one of the best in college football. And I'm okay with with Beattie staying in the NFL and, and doing stuff with the Chargers. That that that's fine there. If I'm pit. Brendan Marion would be my choice, but I also know, like you, Pat Narduzzi ain't bringing him back. And I don't think Brendan wants to come back. I think Brendan's like, I showed y'all what you wanted. You, your OC left, and I was standing right there, and you chose to go get someone else. And that person didn't even work out for you too well. So if I'm Brendan Marion, I'm like, look, and, and right now, Brendan Marion is being celebrated at UNLV and being talked about, but getting, you know, he should be getting head coaching opportunities. I don't think he, I think that he's fine moving up moving up hit the ladder the way that he's going but i, I like moorhead as an example of what of what you're talking about there um because you know he he kind of fits the bill the, the billing there i think a little bit better um you know i also like one that you pointed out sean lewis the guy from colorado who you know i thought engineered some really good passing offense for for the buffaloes um and, and yeah and he got relieved of his duties but you know what I think that Pitt would have a better offensive line than Colorado did this 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 past year, and I think that was one of the things that held Colorado back. Um, and if he can engineer an offense around uh, Yarnell, and if this if Pitt can keep the uh, keep the target the the primary target, like if Bub Means come back, if Kenontae Mumfield's still around, if Kenny Johnson continues to grow, some, maybe some of those freshman wide receivers start to prop up. Um, this can be a unit. That can be a, a really good passing threat, and if he builds a system into that. But that, that that's my biggest thing here. Get a guy like Sean Lewis. You want a guy who can build a passing offense to be more of a modern passing offense, I think the day needs to be done with Pat Narduzzi trying to live in the idea that you have to run the ball consistently all uh, you know throughout throughout games. It's good to be able to run the ball. It's good to be able to do that. You know the Pitt, that was still a, a part of Pitt's offense when Kenny Pickett was being at his prime in the in the ACC championship year. But it needs to be after the fact. I think that to, in today's college football, you need, and when you have the quarterback that you think can be the guy, build around that. That's the kind of OC you should get. I think Sean Lewis would be a heck of a pick.
0: I, I do too, Carter. The reality is I do not think Sean Lewis is going to be an offensive coordinator. He's already no, rumored agree. to be the Syracuse, uh, in the mix for the Syracuse head coaching spot. And I just think that, I think he can quite frankly do better than Pitt. And that's nothing down on Pitt. It's just like a head coaching job at a Power 5 school is better than an OC job at a Power 5 school. Financially and just prowess. So um, yeah, Sean Lewis would be a great one. But I agree on the sense with you that they need to have a scheme like Sean Lewis. They need to be able to score and spread the field out and get the ball to athletes in space. And it it can't be an offense that looked really good in 2005 because we're not in 2005. We're in 2023. We're going to be in 2024. That's not going to bring recruits to your program. And that's why I'm high on a guy like Moorhead simply because he – has the modern offense down pat. You look at what he did at Penn State. You look at what he did at Oregon. And he also, he's recruited this area super well throughout his tenure. And Mm -hmm. those relationships he has with coaches that already exist in this area, you might see a lot less of the four or five stars make their way to the other power five team in this state uh, and maybe stay in the backyard here. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's one where you got to consider Honestly, though, Shanahan, I think, is probably the perfect mix where he's going to be affordable, he's going to be attainable. Um, Pitt might be the best offer he gets, and it would make a lot of sense there. But I agree with you, Carter. It can't be an older guy who just wants to be run heavy. It's, it's got to be someone young and intuitive, and who cares if they're only here for a couple of years? That means they did a good job more often than not. If they leave on their own after being here for a couple of years, um, so we'll move forward now. Corey wants to know what to make of Taekwon Underwood's future with Pitt. The receivers look lost all this season. He said, uh, "Can't t- he can't tell if that was on him or Signetti." Um, I'll start. I think the receivers were the best yeah, forming position group on the offense. Anti lost. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just think I mean early on, yeah, they looked lost. The whole passing game looked lost. I think that had more to do with who was at quarterback and Pitt's ability to protect who was at quarterback than it did the receivers. I think it could be argued Bub Means was the best offensive player on Pitt this year. Mm -hmm. And all of his production, not just some of it, like 90% of his production came after Dracovic was benched. The guy was an absolute weapon with with Vayer and Yarnell. He was scoring touchdowns, big plays, all of it. Exactly what was advertised uh, all spring and summer. Um, I think Kenny Johnson kind of disappeared as the year went on. That's unfortunate, but I thought Mumfield looked good. Dejon Reynolds looked to be a promising guy with, I think two more years of eligibility. I, I don't know. I-, I personally, Carter, I thought the receivers were yeah. maybe the only position on the entire team that looked better as a group, not just individually, because there was no Jared Wayne on this team. But as a group, that was the only position group that I think took a step forward this year.
1: Yeah, I, that's. I think Tyquan Underwood did a good job coaching them. Like, and that's That's the thing is that you you, you can say receivers look. Receivers are always going to look lost when quarterback play is, is bad. Right. You know, there, there's there. It's just it's just going to happen. But did those receivers ever you know blow up at their quarterback? Did they ever power? No, they didn't. And in fact, you know, we I joked around with. Uh, you know, with Bub Means last week, they said, like, hey, they brought up a when 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 it was Vayer becoming the quarterback, they put up a Canadian flag. When Nate became the quarterback, they said, hey, we are we're, good. we're good. We want to get something Texas up in our receiver room because we want to support him. There is such a positivity that comes out of that room despite every reason to feel negative. bud Means can be like, man, this was my year to set up to say, hey, I deserve a shot at the NFL, and I didn't get to have it. But he, Instead of saying me, 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 I, 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 he's saying we, me, let, let, we, let's go. We can, we can win this, and he's making plays and not whining. Same for Kanate Mumfield, who I think is such an underrated weapon in, in Pitt's offense. He could complain about all the things that he had to do there were if there were some plays where he caught like rainbow passes that he should have been killed on but he still fought through them i think that that all those guys they kept their heads and Tyquan underwood deserves credit for how they kept their heads he's doing a good job not only should he be uh should he be kept as the wide receiver coach i think in this offensive coordinator search maybe he should be looked at in that role as well and saying hey you know what you had you controlled your room in the right way let's you know let's let's look at let's look at all the candidates if you don't like the candidates that are in the field that you're talking to. Maybe Tyquan Underwood is the guy that you want boosting up your room.
0: I would like to see that because um, I think he would do a good job. I just don't think you can make that hire. You cannot make an internal hire that. after a I three nine that. season. You just can't do that. it. Um, but like I, I agree that I think Tyquan Underwood will be an offensive coordinator at a power five school one day, um, and I, and I would venture to say that that's that day is probably coming within the next five Sooner. years. So yeah, yeah I, I don't know if that's going to be a pit, but. I I think he is, if I had to keep one person on the offensive staff, it'd be him. So that, that's just where I feel, you know, that's my analysis on, on coach Underwood. So I feel you, Uh, Steve wants to know which pit seniors do we believe will be drafted this year? So as of recording, I think the only one to declare for the draft is Marquez Williams, which, you know, shout out to him. Uh, There's a cool graphic, but like, I always find it funny when, like, six-year seniors declare for the draft. It's like, what
1: What else are you okay. going to do?
0: Yeah, yeah. like, are you, are you coming back to get a law degree? Like, I, I don't know what else. Hey, don't hey, – Nothing don't be, against pit law. Yeah, great, yeah don't become a pit law like that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, not everyone goes the Chris Carter route and goes pit law. Some guys want to go to the NFL, all right? <laughs> just because you decided to get a law degree and not go to the league, they don't want to do that. <laughs> Anyway. I, could have, I could have had a spot, Noah. You're right. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so Marquez, it, 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 yeah, Marquise is going. Um, no one else has made their announcement yet. Yet, uh, announcement yet. But I'd have to assume MJ Devonshire is probably going to go. Um, Matt Gonsalves, I think, is likely. Cradle and Zubovic don't have eligibility they'll probably do something similar to what we saw, like Gabe Hoy and, and um, Marcus minor do, you know, they'll train locally. Yeah. Um, but as far as draft realistic expectations, I think it, it's, it's Devonshire, it's Gonsalves, and and maybe Shane Simon. I think that's about, that's about it. Carter, anyone else?
1: If, I think those are the main ones. If Gonsalves can get healthy for the combine, which I'm not sure if he can, I'm not sure of his recovery process, and shows some people some some good things on you know on some field drills, I think with his size and his experience, he'll get a look somewhere. I think that is, that that is a shot there. MJ Devonshire is a, is a peculiar case because I think MJ Devonshire has the demeanor you want of a cornerback. He just doesn't have. I think you know, you want him to come off a better year than what this past year was for Pitt heading into the draft. Um, you know, I think that I've, you know, I've talked to guys that have, you know, NFL resumes and, and and look at guys and I've asked them about guys like MJ Devonshire and they've said like, Hey, like there's there's stuff there, but you know, might want to shore up this over here or that over there. And if MJ Devonshire wants to be a, a, be a, a, like, you know, a guy that's, that's brought up in the draft and not like in a seventh round or an undrafted guy, that's, that's a priority signing. And if he wants to make himself maybe an earlier day three pick, he needs to put on better, I think more complete tape. In one more year of college football and then blow up that combine. If he runs a now, he runs a thing, he runs a four three speed and he 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 you know he does what Demari Mathis did and you know having an explosive uh broad jump and explosive uh high jump and, and those types of things, he'll get noticed really quickly. But Damari Mathis also was a mid to late day three guy. So like yeah. you you look you look at that, but I think MJ Devonshire, he has pedigree, he has history. I think he just needs he might need one more season that will boost his resume. But if he went right now, I do think he would have a chance to be a late day three pick, but just pending on what he does at the combine.
0: There's just to in my opinion, talking on MJ. There's just too many proven success stories yes. for pick cornerbacks that go. And maybe day they can three. help Mark West Williams too. And and yes, I, I don't think Quez will get drafted because of his size, but I ex- I fully expect Quez to enter the final day of cuts next yeah. year. And, and be on the bubble of making an NFL roster group. because despite his size, he's put together an incredible body of work that'll show up well on the game film. And yeah, I just, I, but talking about MJ real quick, like you said, Carter, sure. of what he can do at the combine, MJ Devonshire is a better athlete than, than Pinnock, than all the Demari Mathis and all of those guys. He's faster yes. than them. Uh, he can probably jump higher, more explosive. I think he's going to test great at the combine. Um, he, he will do well with all like the mental stuff as well. I think so too. I, I, I get the concern, and I think that the reserve is we expected MJ to be like a second or third round guy based off of what he could do um, mm-hmm. and, the, and the intangibles there, and he's not going to be that. He'll be a day three pick, but I just think if you're a defensive back with a year of eligibility at this university and you can be a day three pick if you perform well at the Combine, you got to go. That's, that's your call. That's your ticket out just because th- there are too many guys that have taken that route from Pitt and done it successfully and made a good professional career for themselves for you to not try to attempt that same path.
1: So I hear you. Let's get to this last question.
0: All right. Last question is from Dylan. And it's a hoops question, which we are going to answer and then head to basketball for immediate availability. Yes. Uh, Dylan wants to know how many non-conference, how many more non-conference losses can Pitt basketball realistically afford this season? Will a loss to Missouri or West Virginia put it behind the eight ball like last year's non-conference losses did? Carter, I'll start with you. Obviously, before I hand it over to you, we should point out that it has one non-conference loss right now. We lost to Florida, who is a top forty Ken Palm team, and um, I don't know. I think we'll probably be ranked in the next couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, I think Florida's pretty good, so I, I don't think that loss hurts them too much in the Ken Palm. Um, you know, I, I think Missouri had a bad loss to Jackson State, so that that you know that that could come into things. West Virginia, they're dealing with a lot right now. You know, I think you do want to beat those teams, so. I think they can afford one of those losses, but not both of them. But I also think that Pitt's in a position where they play the way that they've been playing. I think that they'll beat both of these teams and, you know, Clemson might be a bigger test to them than e- than either of them, in my opinion. But uh point being, they need to, they need to handle their business against those teams. Then after that, it's just Canisius, uh South Carolina state Purdue for Fort Wayne. And then your full ACC schedule starts. So, I think as long as they go they go one and one, they'll be fine in these games, but preferably you would want to go two and oh, and then that could set up a really good slate for the rest of the season and not be as down in the Ken Palm as they were trying to fight back at the end of last season.
0: Yeah, I, I think overall it might have room for one loss, but in reality, I mean Missouri and West Virginia do not look like that great of teams right now.
1: They aren't. I so
0: like I, I think if Pitt Pitt's in a really good spot where it's at right now. Like If if Pitt can stay in the low 40s, high 30s, and Ken Palm heading into conference play, it's going to be in a position where if it it just does what it did last year in conference play to jump into the tournament conversation and jump into the rankings a lot earlier on. And it might still be a bubble team, but it it won't be like a Dayton team. It'll be like a nine seed if it just has – you know, an above average ACC slate. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say this team, I'll say this, this team should not be an underdog in any of its remaining non-conference games. I think it should be a favorite on the road in West Virginia, albeit a slight favorite. I think it should be a notable favorite against Missouri Tuesday night. Um, and then the rest of these games, yeah, Pitt has no business losing to the, to the other teams I on its They can't lose schedule. those games. So I think if Pitt's going to lose any game before it's like real – Conference slate picks up. I know it has the one game against Clemson, but I'm talking like in January. The game to lose is to Clemson because that's a that's a worthy opponent. Uh, You don't want to lose to Missouri. You don't want to lose to West Virginia. So if you want to stay where, at the very least, if you're Pitt, you want to stay where you're at right now because where you're at right now is in a horrible spot. Um, You're not going to make up a ton of ground, I think, by winning out the rest of your non-conference you're going to make up ground by winning out non-conference and also beating Clemson. That's what needs to be done. So if you're just going to look at the non-conference, you should win every game. That's my take. Carter, any final thoughts as we wrap this one up?
1: Nope. We just need to get to pick because we got that availability in about 35 minutes,
0: 35 minutes. All right. That's all Chris has got. That's all I got. We thank you for tuning in as always, and keep tuning in to the post-gazette sports now YouTube channel podcast network for all of your Pittsburgh's, Sports coverage by the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Take care.
1: Thank you for checking out this content from Post Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post Gazette has to offer, visit post gazette.com.